Well, I'd invite you to take a seat. And while you're doing that, I, uh, I have a confession to make, and I need to start with this confession, because I think it's a confession that, um, I don't know if you're going to hear this in any other church across Australia this weekend, I actually don't know if you're going to hear this confession across any other church in the country this year. Uh, my confession is, I have a massive man crush on Zac Efron. Like, honestly, and I don't know what it is, like, it's not really high school musical Zac Efron, I'm not that, I'm not crushing on Zac Efron there. I am crushing on his, like, ability to sing, though. I'm crushing on his, on a, on his ability to, like, dance. Uh, it's the quiff in the hair, too, something about the quiff. It's something about his abs, too. Like, I'm sorry, but when he takes his shirt off, I'm like, man, that is what I need. Like, I don't know how you get that body, but I need that. I need the CGI, whatever you're doing. I love Zac Efron in 17 again. Um, I love Zac Efron in Baywatch. But my favorite, my favorite Zac Efron movie is, uh, is this movie called Are We Officially Dating? It's this movie called Are We Officially Dating? And it's pretty much centered around this one big idea uh, that's become so popular within our culture. It's centered around this idea of a conversation. And the conversation that this movie is centered around is defining the relationship. And Zac Efron's one of three main characters, and, and it's his character that actually says, you can tell, you can tell when you're about to have a DTR moment, a define the relationship moment, by one simple word. In fact, he actually gives it a phrase. He actually gives it a phrase. He says, you know, you're coming into it, that someone's initiating, or you're about to have a define the relationship moment when, some, when we enter what we like to call the so. Because in his words, nothing good ever follows the word so. So, where is this going? So, is marriage on the cards? So, it's not you, it's me. I got some things that I need to work on in my life. You're perfect. In fact, what it is, is you deserve better than me. So, we need to break up. This one's, that one's particularly awkward if you don't know you're dating in the first place. It's just really, like, that, don't, don't, um, don't go having uh, that one if, uh, if you're not sure that you're dating. The other one is, um, girls do this all the time. So, I think you're a really nice guy, but I'm just not interested. Like, oh, you know, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. And, um, and maybe you've, um, after I've said that, you've realized, like, oh, there was actually a time in my life when I had a define the relationship moment. And it was followed by a so. And maybe some of you are sitting here and you're like, I've ju- I just got sewed. Or maybe some of you are like sitting here and you're thinking like, I'm about to go and have a, a, a to define the relationship conversation with someone. You're playing that out in your head, what it would look like. And your opener was, so. Well, now I want you to know that if you ever hear that word, so, you're entering into one of those conversations. But why is it, why is it that we have these define the relationship conversations? Why is it that like DTR has become such a big thing in pop culture that there's an entire movie made around it? And I think that the reason we have these moments and the reason we have these conversations is because in relationships, you and I have a desire for clarity. It doesn't matter whether this is a romantic relationship, it doesn't matter whether it's a brother-sister relationship, a mum-dad relationship, or whether it's like a business associate doesn't matter if it's whether you're considering joining a sporting team or maybe a hobby group or whatever it is. We have a desire for clarity in all the relationships that we're in. We want to make sure that regardless of what kind of relationship it is, that we're on the same page. We want to make sure that we've got the same religious views, that we're on the same page there, or that we know how the other person's feeling. We share the same political views. 
Maybe, maybe we want to at least lay out, you know, what, what's your views on finances? What, what's my views on finances? What are your views on relational boundaries? What, what, are you, what are things that you consider are okay to do in a relationship? What are things that I consider are okay to do in a relationship? Are we on the same page? And the reason that I believe that we have this desire for clarity is because we have witnessed relationships that didn't have clarity in them. You've seen, and maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't seen personally, but you've heard your friends and their parents argue about the same thing all the time. And it just seemed that they were arguing across each other and really they were just on two different pages. There was a lack of clarity. Maybe you've seen a relationship that didn't go well and your friend ended up having a different definition of the word cheating to the person that they were in a relationship with. We've seen relationships where there's a lack of clarity and we've seen what kind of destruction they have. And so I believe that we have a desire to define the relationship because we want clarity. We want to be on the same page with the person, regardless of that relationship, what it looks like. The problem is, though, that when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, there is a distinct lack of clarity around that. What does that look like? And if I can just be really honest and, and put my hand up as one of, the, one of the people to blame, one of the reasons that there is a distinct lack of clarity around this idea of, of a relationship with Jesus is because of Christians... Like, can I be, we say the weirdest things and we don't even realize we're saying it. Like, think, think about this. You may have heard a Christian say something like this. Would you like to accept Jesus Christ into your, Lord, uh, into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior? Maybe you've heard him say something like, pray this prayer and Jesus will enter into your heart and you'll be a Christian. And, and I don't know about you, but if you're not a follower of Jesus and you hear that, the first thing you think is, what other relationship do I have to accept someone into my heart? What other relationship do I have to uh, say a set of of magic words and all of a sudden, Jesus, all of a sudden I'm in a relationship with that person? And everyone's like, what? The people who aren't church people, I totally get why you're like, this is just weird. They use language that that I don't get. And if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight and you've ever said that, can I just ask you to stop? And and, and it's not because it's, not because, you know, it's it's wrong, but, but when you open the accounts that we have of Jesus' life. When we look at the biographies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus never said to anyone, pray a prayer and I will enter into your heart. Jesus never walked up to anyone, eyeballed them and said, accept me into your heart as your personal Lord and Saviour. Jesus never, ever said that. And so there's this lack of clarity around, you know, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? And our aim across this entire series is to give some clarity around what, uh, what this idea of a relationship with Jesus is. We want to take four weeks to unpack and define the relationship. Next week in part two and part three, we're going to look at some misconceptions that come with this idea of a relationship with Jesus. Next week specifically, we're going to look at like, do you have to follow rules? Is it like the tick box list? Like, how does that work? Then in part three, we're going to look at this idea that it's all about, you just got to have the right answers to give to people at the right times. You just got to have the, and you got to be able to quote the Bible passage and that's, that's it. And then in part four, what we're going to do, we're going to wrap this whole series up and we're going to look at why bother even following Jesus? Why even bother considering a relationship with Jesus to begin with? But tonight, 
what we're going to do is we're going to look at the one thing that defines a relationship with Jesus. But in order to do that, let's take a step back, because I was thinking to myself, if I had to define a relationship with Jesus, if I, if I wasn't a Christian, if I, if I didn't do the whole like church thing, and I was looking in on a group of people who, who said, yeah, we're Christians, if I was looking in from the outside, if I was examining them, if I was listening to them, what would I think a definition is of a relationship with Jesus? And this is what I came up with. A relationship with Jesus is defined by what a person believes and or how a person behaves. It's all about believing the right things and behaving the right way. That's what a relationship with Jesus is. To really condense it down, essentially, if I believe, if I was looking in from the outside, what I would see is one massive game of Jesus says. Jesus says, don't look over there. Jesus says, don't look at her. Jesus says, you can't do that. Jesus says, you can do that, but only at certain times. Jesus says, don't stay up late. Jesus says, listen to your mum and dad. Jesus says, don't have any fun. Like, sex is a bad word. Don't talk about it. Jesus says, don't hang out with those people. Jesus says, you can hang out with those people. They're all right. And it's just this one massive game of Jesus says, right? And I don't know if you've ever played that game if you're a Christian, or maybe if you're not a Christian, maybe you've seen people playing that game. And really, it just ends up, you just feel miserable, because after a while, you're playing the game. And when you're playing the Jesus Says game and you are, you are killing it and you, you feel really good about yourself, you start to look around and you start to notice everyone who's not playing the Jesus Says game. And you are miserable playing the Jesus Says game. And so you get annoyed at everyone who's not playing it. Hey, Jesus said this, you need to do this. Jesus said this, you need to do this. Because you want them to be as miserable as you are playing the Jesus Says game. And unfortunately for us, For a lot of us, maybe we think that a relationship with Jesus is all about playing Jesus Says. We go through life, we just say, play Jesus Says, and if we don't do the wrong thing, then we we are in. We get eternal life. But what if, what if what Jesus says is never, ever what Jesus said? What if Jesus never said Jesus Says? What if Jesus said something else? Because when you open... And you read the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One thing becomes abundantly clear. Jesus was incredibly relational. Jesus wanted to know people's names. Jesus wanted to know people's stories. Jesus hung out with people who didn't believe what he believed and hung out with people who didn't uh, didn't behave the way he behaved. And what I find most interesting is that people who didn't believe what Jesus believed, people who didn't behave the way Jesus behaved, followed him. And not just like one or two, but we we see all the time crowds, thousands and thousands of people followed him who didn't believe what he believed and didn't behave the way that he behaved. And maybe it's because Jesus has a different definition of that defining moment of a relationship with him. And that one word is follow. What defines a relationship with Jesus is that one word, follow. And I want to I bring you in on a story. I want to bring you in on one account of a man called Matthew who was called to follow Jesus. And I want to show you what it was like for him the very first day he encountered Jesus and the very first day he ever began to follow Jesus. It's in actually Matthew's own book. Matthew's writing this story about himself typical, isn't it? Like, I'm going to write a book. I better include my own story in there too. 
Um, and so Matthew, you can follow along or if, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you. If not, it'll come up on the screen. But it's in Matthew 9, 9. It says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. There he is. Sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now that's important to note because in that, um, at that time, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. And Matthew was a Jewish person. And Matthew was a rich Jewish person because what the Romans would do is they would kind of auction off to the Jewish people the right to collect taxes for the Romans. And so if you were a rich person, if you had a lot of capital, you could buy the right to collect taxes. And so Matthew had brought the right to collect the taxes of his own people off a certain area. He was a Jewish man collecting taxes off the Jews, giving them to the Romans. The thing is, the Romans didn't care how much money and how much tax Matthew collected or the tax collectors collected, so long as they made their quota, which meant that tax collectors would often um, exacerbate, charge lots and lots more tax than they needed to so that they could skimp some off the top and put it in their back pocket. Now, they would tax everything. There was like a bridge tax, there was a food tax, there was a house tax, there was like a road tax. They'd be taxing everything just so they could have more and more money to put into their back pocket. And so Matthew was, was really unliked by the Jewish people, And he was really unliked by the Romans because he was a Jew and the Romans didn't associate with Jews. And Jesus, knowing this, walks up to Matthew and eyeballs him. Jesus being a Jew, if you could imagine what Jesus would say, what do you think he would say? Because in this day and age, really, if I can just try and paint the picture of just how undisliked Matthew was, the emotion that it would kind of elicit in our day and age, is, is a scammer ripping off maybe someone who doesn't understand the internet, maybe an elderly person who's not really clued in with their emails, and they rip them off and they just take all their money. They empty their bank account, they say, hey, donate to this charity, by the way, we need your bank details as well, and they just rip them off. That kind of emotion of disgust is the emotion that people would have felt at Matthew. What do you think Jesus would have said? Walked up to Matthew, oh, Matthew... Your mum would be so proud of you, wouldn't she? Maybe, maybe Jesus would have walked up with one of those big billboards like you see people in the middle of the city. Matthew, you are going to hell unless you repent. Matthew, unless you, unless you repent, you are going to hell. It's going to be really, really hot. Prepare. What Jesus actually says is something completely different. Jesus says, Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. This person who is ostracized by his own people, Jesus walks up and eyeballs him and says, hey, I want you to be one of my team. I want you to come with me. And isn't that so strange when you look at it, right? Because what you would expect, what you would expect in this scenario is Jesus would say something like, Matthew, if you're willing to blank, then you can follow me. If you're willing to kind of get, get rid of this tax game, get your life together, and then maybe like say a few prayers, then you can follow me. What we would expect is for Jesus to say, Matthew, um, once, you, you know, once you give everything that you've taken off everyone back, then you can follow me. Uh, Matthew, once you kind of like go and say seven prayers for, for 15 days, then you can come and follow me. But Jesus says, Matthew, you don't believe anything that I believe, you don't behave the way that I behave, but I want you to follow me. And this is Matthew's response. So Matthew got up and followed him. And then there's a, a little period of time that, that passes. We actually don't know what happens in the rest of the afternoon because Matthew doesn't record it. But what Matthew says next is later. 
So this is kind of like that freeze frame on the scene, like a few hours later. And what happened a few hours later was this. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, the fact that Matthew kind of divides these two groups up is really important because Matthew was a tax collector. And there were, there were people in that day and age that were kind of sinners and they were kind of pushed the outcasts of society. But Matthew knows that sinners don't associate with tax collectors. In that day and age, you might stick your hand up and go, hey, you know what, I'm a, I'm a sinner, but at least I'm not a tax collector. It was like tax collectors, sinners, and then the really like religious people who had it all together. So even within the outcasts, there was like a division. And these tax collectors and these sinners were hanging out at Matthew's house, they were in the, the really nice part of town. And Jesus uh, and his disciples are having dinner. And the thing about Jesus is he, he attracted crowds, but he always attracted kind of two groups of people in those crowds. Matthew's type and the religious type. The religious scribes and the Pharisees, these people who devoted their entire life to studying. And the Pharisees found out about it. But they weren't allowed in Matthew's house because Matthew's like, no, you're not coming to have dinner with me. And so they're kind of outside and it says, but when the Pharisees saw this, so they were kind of looking in from the outside and they're like, hey, is that Jesus in Matthew's house? Jesus hanging out with Matthew and the, and the tax collectors? They asked him, why does your teacher eat? with such scum. And Jesus is hanging out in Matthew's house and he must have got wind of this somehow. And send, I could imagine him just calling over like one of his boys and saying, hey, can you, can you just go and relay a message to me for the Pharisees outside? Like, I'm busy here, but this is, this is the message. He says, but when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I don't know about you, but if I'm Matthew, I'm kind of like, hang on a minute, what? Healthy... Are you saying you're not out there with the healthy people, the religious people, because you need to be in here with the sick? Like, Jesus, I just invited you into my house. These are my people. You don't, you don't have to, we don't have to be talking about this. But if we can just be really honest with ourselves, you and I, we know we're a little sick, right? Maybe not in the way that you think, but, but you and I know that, that, that we're, we don't measure up and, and the reason that we know that we're sick and that we don't measure up is that you set rules for your friendships that you don't even live up to. You set rules for your relationships and you go, hey, this is the standard of relationships that we want to have. You don't even live up to them. Parents, you set rules and standards for your kids, your grandkids, and you don't even live up to them yourselves. We are so aware that if an all-powerful, all-perfect God exists, that we definitely fall short of his standard. And we don't need someone to tell us that. We know that we fall short of his standard because we fall short of our own standards. And we, are, we know that we are not perfect. And then Jesus, because he's not kind of done offend, offending people, you could almost see like one of his boys about to, to go out and tell the Pharisees that and just goes, hey, I've got one more thing to say because I really want to offend both groups of people while we're here. Um, what's the point of just offending one group? And it says, then he added... Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. This is, this is so offensive because what Jesus is, who he's talking to is a group of people who have spent their entire lives studying. These people are professional theologians. They're professional studiers. And Jesus said, you need to go and learn something. You need to go and learn the scripture that says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. 
For I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In other words, you're saying all this study has led you to believe that if you believe the right things and behave the right way, that you've got it all covered. But Jesus says, I haven't come for this group of people who think they've got it all together. I haven't come for all these people that think that that's what following Jesus is all about. That's what defines a relationship with Jesus. In fact, if I could summarize, if I could bring it into one sentence, what Jesus is saying is this. A relationship with Jesus is not determined by what you believe or how you behave, but whether or not you follow. Because the relational approach of the Pharisees went a little something like this. Change and you can join us. Change the way you dress and you can join us. Change the way you look and then you can come to church. Change the, 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 what you do on a Saturday night, then you can come to church. Change what you do Monday to, to, Monday to Friday. Change who you're hanging out with at night, then you can join us. Change what you believe about God's and change your spirituality and then you can join us. That was their approach to relationships. And Jesus' approach was completely different. Jesus says, join us and you will change. Jesus believed, if I could just get in the proximity of people, if I could just get to know them in a relational way, if I could get to hear their story, then they wouldn't play a game of Jesus says, but they would change because I know, they would know that I've got their best interests at heart. They would change because they know that I actually care about them. They would not change because they know that I'm committed to them, that I love them. And the reason that this is so vitally important for those of us that would consider ourselves followers of Jesus is this, because we dare not become a community of people that is just content to believe the right things and behave the right way. Because if we do that, then very quickly we will find that we're the Pharisees standing outside that room, looking in, and we are disconnected from Jesus. And I understand that some of you are sitting there and you're like, oh, that kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable, Chris, because I was always told you had to believe the right things, behave the right way, you know? Like, once you believe these things, then you, then you can have a relationship with Jesus. Once you get this all together, then you can follow Jesus. And I just want to clarify something, and particularly to the Christians, but if you're not a Christian, you, should, you can listen in to this too. I just want to clarify this. that Jesus didn't die to give Christians life. He died to give humanity life. Before you even became a Christian, before you were even thought of, Jesus died on a cross for you. And that means before you ever began to consider following him, he had made a commitment to you. And it didn't matter what you believed then. And it didn't matter how you behave, he'd already made that commitment to you. So, as we wrap this up, as we wrap up the first episode of this series, I just want to give you three things to consider. Three things that I want you to know about, about following Jesus. Three things to help bring some clarity around this relationship. And the first one is this. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus, it's a prerequisite. Trust me, I know everyone looks in there like, those Christians are hypocrites. Yes, we are. We so, we so are, okay? But we, we, that's, why we, that's why we need Jesus, so we can be less hypocritical as well. So being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. Here's the other thing. Being an unbeliever 
doesn't disqualify you. None of Jesus' earliest followers were believers. And some of you are maybe sitting here tonight and you're kind of wrestling, you're like, oh man, this kind of sounds interesting, but, but I just don't believe in Jesus. I just don't believe he is who he says he is. Sure, he might be a good guy, maybe he's a really nice person, but I just don't believe he's God. I don't believe that he, he, he's, God, he's God that walked on earth, and I totally understand that. But if you don't believe in Jesus, then you are a prime candidate to follow Jesus. Because Matthew didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus' best friend, John, didn't believe in Jesus until after he saw an empty tomb. Jesus' brother, James, didn't believe in Jesus. Could you imagine if you were the brother of Jesus and you're seeing him, like, click his fingers and his bed's made? You're seeing him, like, turn water into wine? You're like, man, I haven't seen him practicing those magic tricks. Like, And James didn't believe until later. So if you're not a follower, you're in a prime position. And the third thing to consider is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, following Jesus forces you to focus on where I am rather than when, rather than when you, where you are not. Does that make sense? Yeah, there we go. I missed a verse. Following Jesus forces me, sorry, to focus on where I am rather than when you are not. In other words, if you are following Jesus, you are not looking to your left and you're not looking to your right and you're not concerned with how well someone else is following and what they're doing and what they're doing because you're focused on following Jesus, not following anyone else. You're not trying to play Jesus sets with anyone else because you are trying to follow Jesus. You're not trying to impress someone to the side because the whole, your whole MO is to follow Jesus. So if you've been looking up, if you've been paying attention to the sides, which Christians love to do, how good am I doing, how good are they doing, you should put your head down and focus on when you, where you are rather than where other people are not. Because we want to create a space for people to be able to ask these questions. We want to create an environment here at Beyond where people are allowed to follow at their own pace. And that's why we are committed to creating a church that unchurched people love to attend. Not a church for unchurched people, but one they love to attend because we want people to follow at their own pace because Jesus let people follow at their own pace. Now, I understand there's probably a little bit of tension in the air, and so we have this thing called Form Monday because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't change your life a little bit or impact the, the lives of those people around you. And if there's still some tension in the air, if you're like, oh, I've got some things I'm not quite comfortable with that haven't been resolved, then our Form Monday this week is really simple. Come back next week because we're going to talk about it. We're going to continue this conversation for another three weeks and we would love for you to continue to explore what it means to follow Jesus, regardless of what you believe Regardless of how you behave, you are invited to join us as we define the relationship and what it means to follow Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words that Matthew recorded. We thank you so much that when, you, when he encountered you, that you didn't require he believed a certain thing or behaved a certain way. But Lord, you just extended an invitation to follow and you radically changed his life. I mean, we, we read this document that he wrote, a biography of you, and that's a testament to just how much you can change lives. And Lord, I just pray for those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus that we wouldn't hold people to a standard of believing or behaving, 
but that we would engage relationally as you engaged, that we would allow this community to be a community where people can follow at their own pace. And we don't look to the left and we don't look to the right and we're not judging because we're not focused on where other people are at, but we're simply focused on following you ourselves. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.